0: Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. What lessons can we learn from history and is there opportunity therein? That's what we'll find out today. We've got an awesome guest on the Real Estate Guys radio program.
1: Choosing the right market is one of the most important decisions you need to make as a real estate investor. You're looking for infrastructure, diverse and durable industry, and the right kind of jobs. So let's see if you can spot this market. It's home to more than 80 accredited universities, a federal reserve bank, and more than 1,200 multinational companies. Need some more hints? It's one of the top 10 MSAs and is home to 10 Fortune 500 companies, including UPS, Coca-Cola, NCR, and Home Depot. Still stumped? It's third on the list of most Energy Star buildings in the U.S., has the second tallest hotel in the Western Hemisphere, and it boasts the world's busiest airport. Did you guess Atlanta? You're right. And there's so much more to discover about Atlanta, including the specific neighborhoods where fully rehabbed houses cash flow like crazy, yet sell to investors for far less than $100,000. So come take a look. Join the Real Estate Guys investor field trip to Atlanta, Georgia. For all the details, visit realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Experience this incredible market for yourself and hang out with the Real Estate Guys. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events.
0: Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Today, we're in beautiful Honduras. Let's meet our co-host financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. Wonderful day today in Honduras. It
2: is awesome. It's beautiful. We've
0: been traveling around the globe as part of our Investor Summit at Sea. We do it every year, and it's a great way to hang out with a lot of the right people and have just an awesome time, and so far, so good.
2: Yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, for me, these last 12 years of hanging out with you and going on these cruises and uh, getting a chance to travel the world, uh, looking at real estate, meeting all all kinds of interesting people. My perspectives have really changed. I mean, you know, I I grew up really thinking that America was the center of the world. And I'm proud to be an American. And I love America and I love what America has done in the world and history and changed the human condition and all of the things that make America exceptional. But the world is changing. And uh, that doesn't make America bad. It just means that things are different. And we've entered into a lot of global trade agreements and the internet and communication and the speed of travel. It's just a very, very different society. And because of that there's a lot of opportunities, but it does take a bigger perspective.
0: It certainly does. And this week has taught us that you got to get your mind around people who think globally. We've had people from nine different countries in the summit, and we've stopped at three different countries. And you do need that different perspective. You mentioned history, and our guest today is definitely a history buff. He loves history. He studies history. He did the most amazing presentation aboard the summit. He was a late ad. We added him as a faculty member to the summit three weeks before before we sailed, not for lack of trying. No, not for <laughs> lack of trying. We've been courting him, if you will, for nearly a year. But we finally broke down his defenses, and he elected to come with us. And oh my goodness, it's been so amazing. His presentation was absolutely first class. And what he did is he walked through the history of lots of different empires, how they rose how they flourished, and ultimately how they declined.
2: You know, it's really interesting because as I was growing up, um, my dad had a couple of books on his bookshelf that were giant, and I never quite understood why they were there. One was The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, and one of them was The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. And then fast forward several years, 20 years later, I found myself homeschooling, and I use the term lightly because my wife did 99.9% of the work, uh, but I did get involved in a little bit of the history, the economics, and the civics. And it really opened up my mind because we were creating our own curriculum, if you will. It was so much information available out there. And, you know, me, I'm a researcher, found that out in the Colby test, right? (laughs) Like to research. So I started doing a lot of reading about history and the founding fathers. And, of course, when you start reading about the founding of America, you realize how much of the philosophy that went into what became America was rooted in their study of history and their understanding of the nature of man and what— rulers and power tend to do, and how important it was to protect and insulate people who desired freedom above all things to be insulated from the corruption that happens when power consolidates. And, and you know, I didn't understand all that. I mean, I grew up going to public school and reading what they gave me, which was fine, but I didn't have the context of looking outside the history of the U.S., and when that happened for me, which is what uh, our guest's presentation did, you know, it really gives you kind of a kind of an on-ramp into the current state of affairs and then a bigger context. Kiyosaki says all the time how important the content is only in relationship to the context. In other words, your content has to go into a context for you to really get it. And I think what Simon did that was so powerful that really kind of set the tone for the whole summit. And what came after that was was giving us the context of the history of government and economics as we were trying to figure out what do we do now and what does the future hold for us as investors. A
0: little over three years ago, I started subscribing to a daily uh, newsletter from uh, this gentleman, Simon Black, who you're about to meet. And my goodness, it has changed my world perspective a lot. He puts out his Notes from the Field newsletter every single weekday and we will tell you how you can subscribe to that for free before we're done but Simon is a guy who really has a global perspective we've known that from reading his work for several years and it's really come into focus as we've spent some time with him and we come back you're going to meet the amazing Simon Black up close and personal right here on the Real Estate Guys radio program
3: live nationwide you're listening to the Real Estate Guys find out more at realestateguysradio.com Hi, this is Patrick Donahoe of Paradigm Life. Over the last few years, I've had
2: the privilege of sharing the services of Paradigm Life with you loyal Real Estate Guys Radio listeners through our website, www.beyourbank.com, and also on the annual Investor Summit at Sea. Subsequently, we have seen a variety of financial situations across the socioeconomic spectrum and how everyone, regardless of their situation, would improve their financial lives by following the
4: system we specialize in. As a result of this experience, we have created an online e-learning system so anyone without obligation can learn about the infinite banking
2: concept. This free e-learning program is found on our website,
4: www.beerbank.com. So check it out today. The website again is www.beerbank.com.
0: Live where you want to live, but invest where the numbers make sense. Even better, invest where you have a solid team to support you. We've been hearing great things about Memphis, Tennessee, and Terry Kerr from Mid-South Home Buyers. Since 2002, Terry and his team have been delivering turnkey rental property solutions ideal for out-of-area real estate investors. So, if you're looking for affordable, trouble-free, turnkey investment property, call Terry. Use our resource hotline at 888 888- 888 extension 118. That's 888-510-6838, extension 118. Or find them in the resources area of our website at realestateguysradio.com.
3: Hello, this is Robert Kiyosaki. I'm the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And if you're serious about learning how to invest in real estate, listen to the Real Estate Guys. They really know what they're talking about.
0: Welcome back to the Little State Guys radio program in beautiful Honduras today with the amazing Simon Black. Simon, welcome back to the program.
5: Thanks very much.
0: It has been awesome spending time with you this week. Very cool. Very good time. Now, you always get around the world. You travel to a lot of different places and you have a great perspective, which is this idea of planting multiple flags, which, of course, we've talked about on the show before, but really that you don't have to live your life in just one location.
5: That's right. Uh, the world is a big place, and every country in the world, whether you're talking about here in Honduras or in the United States or anywhere in Europe, every place has uh, advantages and disadvantages, things that it does really well, and uh, the nice thing is that we're in a position where we can sort of pick and choose uh, which are the benefits of every country that we want to be in, and we have the ability to do that in our in our modern age.
0: Now, so many people get locked into where they live. I mean, we have listeners in over 180 countries and they have their way of looking at things. And you have to start to open your mind by being at least curious about other places. How do people start to get interested in planting multiple flags?
5: Well, uh, I think it's really at a point where I think people really need to be interested in that uh, right now. I, I think it's really no longer a choice. Um, Things are changing so quickly right now. The entire paradigms that many of us grew up on are essentially no longer valid. Um, There was a time, for example, I grew up in the United States, you grew up in the United States, and and when we were growing up, we were sort of told, you know, get good grades, study hard, go to good school, get a good job, work your way up the ladder. There's going to be a retirement system there for you, and, and, you know, that's how you live your life, and that model, you know, worked some time ago, but it's just no longer valid anymore. And I think for people to really, you know, look at what's happening in the world right now and I think it, it's becoming imperative to expand their mind, expand their thinking into different directions uh, and to see the world really as, as, as one giant um, opportunity. And the advantage to that, of course, is that because of the way that different systems and
0: governments are set up. That you don't have the same rules everywhere. You don't have the same legal system or property rights or any of that, which may seem daunting at first, but is actually a tremendous advantage.
5: Sure, absolutely. Uh, they're, they're really, every place is so different. Um, I, I go to so many places around the world, and sometimes I'm just amazed at how simple it is. I spend a lot of time in Chile, for example, and one of the things that's great about Chile is that the, the immigration laws there are so simple. So I can start a business there. I can bring in uh, any kind of foreign talent that I want, I'm not restricted to using you know, only local talent. And it makes it very easy to build a much more successful business in a place like that when I, as an entrepreneur, can pick and choose whatever talent I want. I don't have to deal with politicians and government officials and so forth. It's a very, very straightforward process. That's a major advantage. Same thing when it comes to banking, right? Banking systems
0: are tied together in a way, but there are some strong reasons to consider different jurisdictions for your banking in different parts of the world.
5: Banking itself is very similar no matter where you go in the world, but the actual specific to each jurisdiction are phenomenally different, and there are places in the world – Norway is a great example where banks in Norway are extremely well capitalized. Um, When I say that, I mean that they have a big margin of safety, their banks' net equity. I'm sure your audience understands assets minus liabilities. Their equity as a percentage of assets is substantially higher, in many t- cases even an, an order of magnitude higher um, than most other banks in the West. If you look at banks in Europe and in the United States, uh, they really just pale in comparison. And so you have to look at this situation and think, OK, it wasn't that long ago that we saw huge waves of banking failures um, in Europe and in the United States. Is it worth at least taking a little bit of uh, you know of, of insight and analysis into the I – mean, our banks are really our financial partners. Uh, it's, it's, there's not really a whole lot of difference between handing all of your hard-earned savings over to some guy on the street versus a bank – Um, You obviously want to do your due diligence on who your financial partner is, no matter who it is. And if you really look at the numbers, I think you'll find that uh, many of the places that people bank, where they're holding their savings, uh, in many places in the world, really actually aren't that safe. And there are many places in the world, again, like Norway or Singapore, places like that, where the banks are are far safer, they're far better capitalized, they're far more liquid, they have a lot more cash uh, on the books as a percentage of assets. And these are places um, that are... Uh, from a technical perspective, much, much safer. So the question to really ask is, you know, if you you worked hard for your savings, you've worked hard to build your business, you've worked hard to build your real estate portfolio, isn't it worth holding your cash in a place that is actually very, very safe? And you can actually look at those numbers yourself and conduct that analysis. But that's the sort of thinking that, that most people just, you know, don't don't really do because we're sort of told that, well, of course your money's safe here. It's a bank. you know. Why wouldn't it be safe? And that sort of paradigm, again, is just simply no longer valid. And we saw that you know we had a front row seat to that uh, just a couple of years ago. Well, I think that's a critical point, Simon, because we've seen what's happened. And I think there
0: is beginning to be an awareness that maybe wasn't there before. Obviously, there have been a few folks like yourself and your readers that are tuned into all of this. And we certainly think globally, but there are a lot of people waking up and saying, you know, something doesn't seem to be right. They're telling me that real estate prices are going up again and saying the economy is good. But when we look at jobs, the jobs aren't really there and certainly not the right kinds of jobs. You're a student of history and you did a great presentation on the
5: summit this year about the fact that we've seen this movie before. Right. Absolutely. We've seen this movie before. We know how it ends. We've seen this movie a lot of times. This is like the 150th sequel of this movie. And it's it's very interesting that somehow every time this sort of situation comes around where you have countries that have gotten themselves into too much debt, where they're conjuring money out of thin air, where they're raising taxes, where they're overregulating, uh, where they're you know, trying to grab people's pensions and so forth, and, and there, there are consequences of these sorts of things. And yet somehow throughout history, people always believe that this time is different, that the, the, the consequences are not going to befall them, that their society is somehow immune to the laws of the financial universe. And it's just not true. And not always for the same reason. But I think one
0: of the things that we got from your talk is that there's always been a dominant country. Even today, we view the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. But even that has changed over time. And I think if you're 30 or 40 years old, you've not been around long enough, unless you really study history, to see that there have been many empires that rose and flourished but eventually crumbled.
5: Sure, absolutely. Uh, uh, younger younger listeners, uh, I'm 35 years old. I Obviously, I was born at a time when the United States was the dominant superpower. Uh, my grandfather was born at a time when the United States was not the dominant superpower. My grandfather was born at a time when the United States was probably in the same position that China's in today, where everybody sees this kind of upstart country entering, you know, pushing its way onto the world stage. It has a powerful military and a powerful economy, and people are kind of scared. They're a little nervous about, you know, who who are these Americans, what are they doing, and I'm not sure I like that. And it is the natural cycle. There is no country that has, the you know, some sort of divine right to maintain permanent status at the top of the world stage. There is no single currency that has the divine right to maintain itself as the global reserve standard. These things change. This isn't a, you know, it's not some, it's what I kept telling your audience, it's not some crazy conspiracy theory, it's just historical fact. And I think if anybody takes a rational view of history, I think it, it's fairly easy to see, again, that this is just fact. It's not conjecture, it's not conspiracy theory. It's just it's just fact. Again, the financial system changes. The reserve currency changes. The world's dominant superpower changes. All these things change with time. And so if you look back at sort of the historical patterns of how frequently these things change, we're due for a change. And guess what? All the conditions of these changes are essentially the same conditions as previous changes, so all the preconditions are already met. We have a dominant superpower that's deeply in debt. I mean, the the, the GAO, the government's own uh, numbers, essentially state that the U.S. government. This is, and I told your audience this: if you add up all the assets in the United States of America, the highway system, the military, every tank, every bullet, uh, every tree in the national park, you know, the roads, et cetera, you add up all the assets and subtract the liabilities, and you know, these are their their version of what the liabilities are, the overall net equity of the United States government is minus $17 trillion. And who's responsible for that? Taxpayers. Taxpayers are responsible for that. It's, you know, it's not that, you know, the the, the president of the United States isn't going to whip out his checkbook and 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 suddenly make that balance whole. Taxpayers are responsible for that. And that's one of these very important preconditions. They continue making that problem worse. You know, they, when, when their budgets show deficits of of $700 billion, they think that's good news. You know, they're doing a victory lot because they're only $700 billion in the hole this year. And, of course, their own estimates show that that number is going to get worse and worse and worse over time. You've got, uh, you know, you've got retirees that are coming out of the system that are going to be taking in, uh, you know, pension payments, depleting the reserves, depleting the currency and so forth. And that's... Something that's going, to, that's going to continue to affect the system over time uh, and, and make those numbers even worse. You've got a central bank that's expanded its balance sheet just over the last couple of years from $800 billion to over $4 trillion. Um, they do that by essentially conjuring money out of thin air going into debt, uh, raising taxes, over-regulating, conjuring money out of thin air, this is not the path to prosperity. And again, so many other countries have been in this position before. Uh, The Brits were certainly in this position before. The French were in this position before. Each one of these were, at some point throughout history, just even over the last couple of hundred years, the dominant superpower in the world. That changed because they found themselves in this position. Today, the United States finds itself in this position. And so this is history's way of telling us It's time for a change. Change is coming. It's already here. We're already seeing it. We're living through it right now, and that's actually what makes this time very, very exciting. One of the things I appreciate about your approach to all this is that
0: many times people that point out these kinds of things tend to get labeled as lunatics or conspiracy theorists running around saying the sky is falling, but that's not at all the way you present
5: this information. It's just facts and figures, and it's not political in any way. It's just kind of the way it is. So. Right. It's it's not emotional at all. It's a very rational, objective analysis, and I think, I think the the emotional response is to deny this. The emotional response is to just dismiss and marginalize anybody that presents facts. And say, "Oh, those people are crazy." When did facts become crazy? Uh, you know, to me, it's crazy to deny facts, to deny truth, and say, "Oh, well, uh, you know that that that's not true, or that can't happen here, etc." I mean, that to me, it's it, it's completely ludicrous. And unfortunately, it is – again, it's, it's an unobjective assessment. I think people look at the numbers and everything within them. We've been sort of – we've grown up in a, you know, a, a publicly, you know, a government-controlled school system. We learn all these things. We're taught certain things and we're inculcated with beliefs that these sorts of things just can't happen here. And so when we're presented with the truth, when are presented with just numbers, with facts. People are denying arithmetic you know you might as well just say well, 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 4 because that when people just deny this that's essentially what they're saying and the reason they're doing that is because again they've been inculcated practically from birth that it just can't happen here so it's a visceral emotional reaction and i'd really encourage folks to take a very uh, objective assessment of the numbers uh you know and hold them uh, hold the emotion back and just look at things very rationally i think they'll see you know what the what what the very clear trend is but the good news is, again, there's a lot of things that people can do about it. It's not, you know, it's not that this is all doom and gloom or anything like that. I'm a very optimistic person. I've looked at this stuff very rationally. I, you know, I see it for what it is. And uh, to me, this, this means two things. One, there's a lot of things that you can do to ensure that, you know, you're going to be fine no matter what. And two, uh, as we were saying, you know, every time in, in any problem, the flip side of a problem is opportunity. And so for productive minded people, you know, for, for people who kind of think in an abundant way, this is really an unprecedented era of opportunity. Uh, Some people might view it as an unprecedented era of problems. I think the right way to view it is the unprecedented era of opportunity. You
0: know, it's so interesting. We've been here together for a week with 130 great folks. We started out with Peter Schiff painting a very unrosy picture of the crash that's coming and the reasons why. Then you took us through a lesson in history, which was absolutely fascinating and quite eye-opening. So there are reasons why people could definitely be alarmed or feel uneasy about the road ahead. But instead, the mood in this tiny little micro-village that we create for a week has been quite upbeat, quite positive, because we haven't just focused on the negative, but rather the tangible things each of us can do to be better prepared.
5: Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Some of the information that was presented, again, could be viewed in a very negative light. But uh, I think it's important to maintain that. That view that it is again, a, it is a world full of opportunity. And I think you've got a really great group of people here. This this audience that you have, your 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 listeners. I mean, just really fantastic people. This has been a this has been a wonderful experience, and uh, the, my first time here. And I, you know, I really appreciate the invitation. It's been really great. And the audience, um, very impressive people. And they look at this information again in a rational way. It's a little bit shocking, a little bit uncomfortable, you know, for people. A lot of folks were talking to me about about my remarks. Um, afterwards, And they said, boy, you know, that's, that's you know, it's, it's, it's hard to argue with numbers. I, I, everything you said is accurate. It's, it's uncomfortable to think about, you know, but you're right. There's, there's a lot of opportunity out there because of this. And any time there's a problem, it's, you know, there are tremendous opportunities. And I think people here, very productive-minded folks, they get that. And I think they're, you know, they're kind of emerging from this trip excited about what's out there in the world. Well, absolutely.
0: Each time there's radical change, especially when it's more global, what happens is there's a shift. There's a shift of belief, there's a shift of power, and there's always a shift of capital. And there's a chance today to rise up and be part of the entrepreneurial answer to the challenges that are here and those that are coming. Simon, we could talk for days about the problems, and before we're done, we'll let the listeners know how to get access to much of your work and research and what you have to say on literally a daily basis. But let's talk about the silver lining. If we all recognize that there are drastic problems out there, and when Main Street starts to see that and they're starting to pay attention, How is it that you prepare for what might happen?
5: Well, again, I think the most important thing is to ensure that you're armed with facts. Uh, It's the most important thing is is always, I think, to educate yourself. And, And what I mentioned to your audience the other day is accept the fact that you're not crazy because you look at these numbers and you can see, you know, the the, the objective trend of, of where everything is unfolding. Um, it doesn't make you crazy. It doesn't make you some tinfoil hat wearing nutty conspiracy theorist because you don't think that being in the hole by seventeen trillion dollars is a good thing. You know, it doesn't make you crazy that you think that higher taxes and overregulation and conjuring money out of thin air isn't the path to prosperity. That's not uh, that's not a crazy you know conspiracy theory. And I think it's important for people to recognize that, and it's important again for people to recognize that that is actually a, a lot of opportunity. It's also important, I think, to have a very long-term view. Uh one of the things I've, I've been telling your audience over and over. I have a very long-term view on things, and a lot of people would say, "Well, um, you know, sure, we can see the trends, but I mean, uh, it's it, you know, it's not happening. Where is it? Where's the you know, where's the chaos? Where's this? Where's that?" You know, this stuff doesn't happen overnight. This, these happen over very long periods of time. And I would encourage anybody to look back. Over the last ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, and think back to the way things used to be. What did things used to cost? How did your how did your life used to be? I mean, I remember a time when, uh, for example, at airports, anybody could go to the airport. You know, your wife would come and drop you off at the airport. You your your kids take you to the gate. We used to go with my father to the gate every time he would he would go on a trip. All the way you know all the way through. And I mean those sorts of things. When we think back on on those changes and how different things are now, we think about inflation. Uh, you know, I wrote this. Piece the other day about how, when I was a kid, and the price of a Coca Cola in a vending machine was $0. twenty-five cents. Um, some of your listeners may recall a time when it was only $0. five cents. Um, you know, and now you're talking about dollar fifty, dollar seventy-five. You know, and 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 you look at this, and this is literally the erosion of of the purchasing power of your currency by eighty-three percent over a period of time. And so these things unfold gradually over time, and. It's easy to say nothing's happening, nothing's happening, because those changes happen so gradually, we grow accustomed to that. It's the it's the boiling frog uh, theory. You know, we just eventually get accustomed to how hot the water is getting, and so we think, well, it's not very hot in here because we've grown accustomed to how hot it is. But if you look back at what the temperature used to be some time ago, uh, you know, it's obviously quite a bit hotter. So, you know, keeping that very long-term view I think is important, particularly if you have children, grandchildren, you have family to think about. There are really a lot of things that are very important to think about because even if you think it's not going to affect me, it's certainly going to affect your children, it's going to affect your grandchildren, so it's very important to hold that long-term view. In terms of specifics, I would recommend that uh, absolutely everybody, um, regardless of where you're from, you said you have listeners all over the world. I think it's great for anybody all over the world to really consider uh, taking at least a portion of your savings uh, and and uh, putting it in a safe, strong, stable bank uh, somewhere outside of your home country. There are a lot of great reasons to do that. Again, a lot of banks where people hold their funds. I think um, a lot of your listeners who might be in the United States, who might be in, in Europe. Would be shocked to find out what the true nature of uh, the health of their bank really is. That many of these banks are very poorly capitalized. Many of them are actually even insolvent. They hold very little cash uh, of their customers' deposits, and um, you know this is something that, that very little in the banking system has changed. Over the last uh, four, five, six years, when you know this crisis really started to hit, you know, the fundamentally what has really changed very little, uh, and I think people would really be alarmed if they found out what the what the actual financial condition of their bank was. So again, I would encourage people to look at other places overseas where there are stronger banks that they can that they can hold their funds. This is one of those things that I I would point to and and say how are you worse off, you know, for that, and that's a really important point because again there are a lot of great reasons to have some savings overseas. Again, is it maybe a stronger bank, it's a place where if there's a, maybe we saw what happened last year in Cyprus, that was a really dramatic moment for a lot of folks. I was talking to some, you have some, some British members of your audience here I was talking to and, and they said their parents were in Cyprus. And you know, there was this frantic, you know, trying to get money to their parents and everything like that. I mean, imagine if that happened to you. Everybody in Cyprus went to bed, it was a Friday night, they went to bed, everything was fine. They woke up Saturday morning, found out that their bank accounts were, were, were frozen yep. across the entire country. I mean, that's a really scary prospect, and of course everybody thinks that's never going to happen here. Well, you know, the Cypriots thought the same thing, and then it happened. So if you have some funds overseas... You don't have to worry about that. You can sleep peacefully at night knowing that no matter what happens, you know, you're going to have access to capital, you're going to have access to savings, you're going to have access to be able to, you know, to buy food, to put food on the table for your family. That's a big peace of mind. It costs you nothing to open up an account overseas. And again, you're not worse off for it. Because even if, you know, this Cyprus-like bank account confiscation never happens in your home country. How are you worse off because you have a bit of savings in a strong and stable bank overseas? You're not. You're not worse off for it. And so that's one of those things that really makes sense in any scenario at all. And so there, there are a lot of those sorts of uh, solutions out there, I think, for, for people to consider.
0: We're talking with Simon Black from Sovereign Man. When we come back, we'll talk about some other things you can do to put yourself in a position to prosper during the coming turmoil and change. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms.
3: Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com.
0: estate continues to drop belize property is on the rise and many experts think the best is yet to come but don't just take my word for it come experience belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip when you join us you'll discover the many reasons we love belize like tremendously undervalued beachfront land super low taxes ease of doing business and so much more get the details at realestateguysradio.com just click on events See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com and I'll see you in beautiful Belize.
1: Hi, this is Lawrence Yun, Chief Economist with National Association of Realtors, and you are listening to The Real Estate Guys.
0: Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Still with a little of my voice left, it's been a great week at sea here at the Investor Summit. More from the Investor Summit next week on The Real Estate Guys. Before we get back to our interview with Simon Black, It's time to play Real Estate Trivia, your chance to win a prize by knowing the answer to today's trivia question. Just a minute, I'm going to ask you a real estate trivia question. As soon as you think you know the answer, send it to us in an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. You'll include your name and your physical mailing address. Because if you're the winner, we're going to send you a great book. It's called My Next Step by REMAX co-founder Dave Leniger. Really inspiring story. You're going to love it. That can be yours if you know today's real estate trivia question. Last week on the show, we were talking about stepping up to the next level with real estate syndication. And we asked this, what state does Yellowstone River rise in? The answer, of course, Wyoming. Here's our real estate trivia question for this week. Simon was talking about Norway. Here's what I want to know. Name Norway's oldest city. What's the oldest city in Norway? If you know or maybe want to take a guess, simply send it to us in an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. And you could be the proud owner of My Next Step, the great book from Dave Leniger. That's today's real estate trivia question. We're here in Honduras with Mr. Simon Black. We've had an incredible week traveling the world and hanging out and talking about all kinds of great stuff. You know, Simon, you look around at the things that are happening and rather than put your head in the sand, what are some simple things people can do to be prepared just in
5: case there's a major problem, but that they wouldn't be any worse off if everything goes well? Sure. There are so many things. Again, we were talking um, before the break about banking. Um, One of the things I think that goes part and parcel with banking is Giving very serious consideration to how you denominate your savings uh, in what currency, really. If you're holding, uh, if you're holding paper currency, obviously you and I probably we all have some some misgivings about the entire notion of paper currency. But that's how, where the financial system runs right now, and I think it's worth considering again. How are you denominating your you know your savings, your your sort of paper currency savings? If you are, for example, a dollar a U.S. dollar uh, person, and we can look at the direction of where the dollar is going, where it's been. Heading, whether you know whether or not the dollar goes up and down today, tomorrow, over the next couple of months, over the next six months. Again, looking at the data objectively and what the capitalization level of the Federal Reserve is, what the solvency of the Federal Reserve is. This is the issuing authority of the dollar. The dollar is, you know, the liability of the Federal Reserve. Looking at the direction of this, uh, again, the trend, and this is, is, is quite clear. There are a lot of options out there. Yeah. One of the things I've been recommending to my own readers uh, is to consider holding uh, the Hong Kong dollar. And one of the reasons that's so interesting is that the Hong Kong dollar is actually pegged to the U.S. dollar. And it's a very narrow peg, uh, which means that there's almost minimal you know, currency fluctuation. So holding Hong Kong dollars is – effectively almost the same as holding U.S. dollars. Uh, So you take on very little currency risk. So if the U.S. dollar goes up, the Hong Kong dollar goes up. The nice thing about that is, though, if there's suddenly some uh, major crisis of confidence in the U.S. dollar, and uh, I would recommend if anybody uh, really wants to have their mind blown on what that looks like, I would recommend you look at uh, a great book by um, uh, my friend Jim Rickards called Currency Wars. Excellent read. I definitely recommend that. Um, He goes into a lot of detail about that. But if there were ever to be some crisis of confidence in the U.S. dollar, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority would simply unpeg. They, they would depeg from the U.S. dollar and suddenly you, all of your sort of downside risk would be covered. So you have all of the upside, but none of the downside. And again, one of those things that you have to look at and say, how are you worse off for that? You know, you've, you've minimized your currency risk. You still capture the upside of holding U.S. dollars and you've eliminated the majority of the downside. How are you worse off? And there are a lot of those sorts of things, you know, uh, available to people.
0: You know, as real estate investors, one of the things we try to do is anticipate trends. What's happening in terms of the needs for rental housing and where, or maybe we're interested in retail or commercial, various needs for real property. One of the things you discussed this week that reading notes from the field all these years has me interested in as well is that you've been investing in agricultural real estate. The idea that we've got a calorie crunch coming and that could be some food for thought, if you will, for investors.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think the the, the fundamentals of agriculture are, uh, are, are so clear. It is the clearest trend. Uh, I think even even potentially even more clear than than you know what's happening in the fiat currency system, um, because the numbers in agriculture you know you can manipulate paper currencies and you can you can create false confidence and all those sorts of things you can jump in bed with bankers and central bankers you just can't You can't do that with food. The, the, the supply and demand fundamentals are so obvious. Again, there's just more people. The, the demographers again tell us that there's about 200, 220,000 people per day, net population growth. And those are people that are going to be joining us at the dinner table this evening that weren't here yesterday. That's a big number. Tomorrow there's going to be another 200,000 and then another 200,000 and again and again and again. And yet, while demand is growing and we have all the, the sort of the wealth demographics that suggest that people are moving up the food chain to more resource consumptive foods they're consuming more calories on the supply side, um, in many cases the supply is falling if you look at the sort of available – Uh, land per capita, the available arable land per capita is falling, the required land per capita is actually increasing. And so when you have the required land per capita being in such an imbalance, that puts a lot of pressure on agricultural food prices. In addition to all that, you also have all the sort of policy fundamentals. You've got these absurd, you know, uh, paying farmers to not farm, uh, all these different subsidies, export controls, monetary policy that puts trillions of dollars out there in the financial system, and all that money is going to end up somewhere. Some of it's going to end up in the agricultural commodities market. And so when these sorts of things happen, again, I told your audience, I think the best that we could possibly hope for is rising food prices. Uh, And so for me... There are a couple of ways to, to sort of tackle that. One is you could just try and invest in, in commodities. And I mentioned your audience. It's a hard thing to do to invest in commodities. You have to be a, a really hardcore financial professional following these things all the time, every day. You have to nail the timing. You've got to do all the different options, strategies to, to try and minimize your risk. I mean, it's a very, it's a very hard thing to do. Uh, and a lot of people are very successful in that. But, frankly, most people are not. And there are, you know, at the end of the day, if you're buying commodities, contracts and so forth, what you're still buying is paper assets. And I think in the world that we're living in, the trend that investors should be thinking about is moving towards real assets. And, of course, with your audience, you know, being real estate investors, I think obviously they'll probably get that intuitively. Agricultural property is obviously a subset of, of real estate. The nice thing about agricultural property is that you know, as you mentioned, your tenants aren't uh, going to be calling you up at four o'clock in the morning because you know they uh, you know the, 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 there's some there's some leak in the toilet and the hot water heater. I used to own a lot of you know real estate as well. I mean, I would get these calls. The first time I ever got a call from my tenant, it was Sunday morning about seven a.m. and the guy called and said that the hot water heater was out. That was that was that was my, that was my introduction to, uh, to 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 tenant challenges. The first and last time I ever wanted to get that one. So you know, agricultural real estate is a, is, a, is a different thing. You know, you're dealing with plants and not people. There are obviously a lot of challenges with plants as well. You're dealing with weather. You're dealing with uh, uh, you know all these sorts of things. But the the return potentials are substantial depending on where you buy in the United States farmland prices are basically at or near all-time highs uh, and so I don't view the United States right now as a great place for people to start investing in agricultural property there are a lot of other places around the world where farmland prices are sort of just as productive um, but are trading at uh, you know substantial discounts to what they are in the United States and Western Europe And you also brought up that because of many of the farming practices in the U.S., that much of
0: the soil is depleted of nutrients. And, of course, today you've got places around the world that are just being discovered as ideal for certain crops. They've not been grown before. So very fertile soil, access to water, and so forth. Real estate investors looking at, say, fourplexes have to look at things like demographics, trends, infrastructure, and then, of course, conduct due diligence on specific properties. I would imagine it's the same kind of thing in agricultural property, probably just different boxes to check on your checklist.
5: Right. Yeah, it, it, exactly. I mean, uh, you were talking uh, you know, the other day about trailer parks uh, and, and how a lot of people you know, go in and they try and own trailer park. They buy these trailer parks on the outskirts of town, and as the town sort of grows in that direction, obviously the land becomes a lot more valuable, and the trailer park just becomes a way for them to, to generate cash flow. Farming can be very similar in that perspective where, you know, you can buy well-located farmland in the path of progress. It has high-quality soil, and instead of having to, you know, develop it or put trailers on it or gas stations or anything, you know, you, you, you plant crops. And those crops, in many cases, when done properly, can generate substantial cash flow for you. You can make different investments uh, to plant perennial crops, fruit trees, things like that, and generate even more cash flow. Um, we do a lot of, uh, of agricultural investment uh, in South America, so for example, um, you know, on, if you were to plant uh, a hectare of corn, hectares two and a half acres, um, versus um, apple trees, you're talking about sort of net profit per hectare, uh, the difference being uh, potentially uh, you know, 10 to 20 times higher you know, planting corn versus planting uh, apples, apples being so much more profitable um, than corn, but you obviously have to invest and and sort of develop the land. So again, agriculture, you have a lot of options there. You can plant seasonal crops and generate some cash flow and, and generate a, a, a nice yield. You can uh, you can make investments and develop just as you would, you know, developing a property. You can develop agricultural property uh, and you can generate even more uh, cash flow that way. Um, and if your kind of entire goal is Uh, is appreciation and looking at these, you know, thriving economies that are undervalued. And I'm looking at these places that are – the farmland costs a fraction of what it is in the United States, but it's just as fertile, if not more, than, you know, California and and, and all these sorts of places. And to me, the market is going to correct that imbalance uh, probably sooner rather than later. So, um, you know, in the meantime, if we're generating 15 percent to literally 40, 45 percent yields – um, I think that's a good thing, and I'm, I'm I'm happy to be in that space.
0: Well, and you also have all the pushback from the GMOs and the people who are concerned about health and the fact that right. nutrition are in a head of lettuce today is not nearly as high as it used to be. Right. And yet, when you're looking at kind of a clean slate with new cropland, there are things you can do from the beginning with an eye towards helping to solve
5: the calorie crunch. Right, absolutely. Uh, it's something that anybody can really participate in. Um, at any level. You can participate in it from, a, from an investment perspective. Uh, you can participate in agriculture, even just from a personal perspective. If you care about what you put in your body, it's as simple as literally taking a styrofoam cup full of dirt and putting a tomato seed inside of it and watching it grow. And suddenly now, that's a major step in taking charge of your own, your own fate and, and, and being responsible for what you, you know, for what you put in your own body. And that's something that literally anybody can do. Anybody can do that. And it's a very powerful thing, you know, to do. You actually sort of see that and, and, and create, you know, plant life out of nothing and, you know, eat, you know, the fruits of your labor. Or really it's the, the, the labor of the sun and, and the water that you put in. And that's you know and that's just from a personal perspective. And again, there there's a lot of investment opportunity um, I think available. I don't think the United States is is terribly ripe for agricultural investment right now, at least in terms of buying farmland. Uh, I think there are a lot of other places in the world that's where the opportunity is, is, is in many places overseas. Um, but it's I think it's a very exciting space because if you look at the long term trends in agriculture, supply you know the the uh, available arable land per capita decreasing, the required Uh, land per capita increasing uh, for demand and then these destructive policy fundamentals, it is really obvious which way agriculture is going. Uh, And so I think over the long term, at least over the next, you know, 10 years or so, this this is by far the, you know, right space to be in.
0: Now, Simon, obviously you have a big heart for education. You do a great job of researching, presenting, educating. Our summit attendees were absolutely blown away. Thank you so much for being part of this event and really stepping up to open up some minds and get people to start to think about this stuff. Obviously begins when somebody decides they need to make a change. Today, reaching younger people and really getting them to see that it's not the same world their parents grew up in is a big part of that. Right. For the young folks listening, you know, we've got lots of listeners that are just discovering real estate as a potential investment vehicle for their future. What kind of advice might you give to the 20-something listener that's looking at the world as their oyster? I mean, if they're paying attention, they've got a chance to not be looking back with regret when they're 70 years old. They still have most of their life ahead of them. What might you say to folks like that?
5: I think the most important thing uh, for, for young folks to understand right now is, is what the reality of their situation is. Uh, is that if you're, if you're a young person, uh, probably you know most of the things that you were told when you were growing up are just simply not valid. Um, And you're in a position now where, again, you're going to be the last to be hired, the first to be fired. You're going to be the one that has to assume the debts of your parents and grandparents, the previous generations that have come before you. Those are going to be your responsibility to pay off. So your entire working life... Uh, will be uh, full of higher taxes and more regulations, new taxes, all these sorts of things that are you know you're going to be working harder and harder and harder and earning less and less and less. You'll be the recipient of again this long-term inflation that's going to be increasing over time. And any time you know if you're young and your government decides, I mean, if if if, if they decide uh, we're going to go to war with Russia over Ukraine right now, who's going to go and fight? Right. You know, it's not going to be the senior citizens; it's going to be the young people. And so young people I think have an enormous burden on their shoulders and most of them don't really even realize it. So I think you know understanding that is important and I think the second thing to really understand is that you know you're you're only young once and you're in a position in your life right now where you have absolutely nothing to lose. You have nothing so you have nothing to lose and so this is the only time in your life you don't have, uh, you know, you probably don't have a family, you don't have a mortgage, you don't, you don't have requirements to put food on the table for anybody. You have nothing holding you back. So literally the entire world is, uh, you know, this wide open opportunity for you. You can go anywhere, you can do anything, you can make anything of yourself. And I think resigning yourself to that same paradigm that you were sort of, were, were, you know, grew up listening to and, and believing in, if you resign yourself to that paradigm, you're going to miss out on an enormous opportunity.
0: Now tell us a little bit about your annual entrepreneurial summer program. This is something you've been doing that is really fascinating.
5: Yeah, it's uh, it's it's. Uh, I do a lot of really interesting things in my life, but this is the one thing I think that stands above all the rest. Is the thing that, that is at least the, the the favorite thing that I do. I think it's the most interesting thing that I do. Um, I've been doing this for several years now. Um, I sponsor a uh, a summer entrepreneurship camp. Um, I say camp. I don't want people to think that we're sort of out in the woods, uh, you know, (laughs) pitching tents and building fires. Uh, We actually rent out a a very, uh, a very nice uh, sort of resort property um, in uh, in the Baltics. We do it in Lithuania in a a sort of a a countryside lakeside setting. It's very nice, and uh, we bring in students from all over the world. Um, Last year, as an example, we had folks from uh, from Mongolia, Zimbabwe, Iran. Colombia, New Zealand, everywhere you can imagine. Everywhere you can imagine. China, uh, you know, obviously United States, Canada, all over Western Europe, India. I mean, everywhere in the world that you can imagine. Uh, and we do this year after year after year. I also bring in some of the, I know a lot of, you know, people, uh, and I bring in some of the most successful entrepreneurs that I know to spend five days with these young people. And we talk to them about exactly, you know, the skills you need, helping to teach them, you know, what they need to actually succeed out there, to build a business, what it actually takes to build a business, developing real skills. It's the sort of stuff you're just not going to learn in business school. It's the sort of thing that you can only learn out there in life, doing it, experiencing it for yourself. And so what we do is take people through. Here's exactly how we built businesses. Here are the mistakes that we made so that you don't have to. You're never going to learn this in school. You know, you only learn this in in the school of life, and now what we're doing is helping you just take a quantum leap ahead of all of that, so you don't make those same mistakes. You don't stumble back like we did. Now, all of a sudden, you'll be, you know, so far ahead, you'll be able to progress so much faster. Uh, And we do that, uh, again, every summer, and uh, it costs the students nothing. Uh, You know, we we, we sponsor that. I sponsor that. And uh, it's it's gotten to the point where it's very competitive, and our, our... our selection criteria is, is high. There's an application process. We have uh, hundreds, thousands of applicants. Often we only have fifty or sixty slots available, so it's very competitive. But for bright, talented, ambitious young people out there who really want to go out and be productive and make something and you know build a business and change the world and learn how to do it, you know this is this is uh, this is a really great place to go. It's awesome. Of course, young people need inspiration
0: and ideas, but also mentors. I remember I read about how much Kevin Spacey admired Jack Lemmon, who was a mentor to him. And Jack told a young Kevin that when you're successful in life, you have the obligation to send the elevator back down. Because it's not just about what you can accomplish. It's really that these thoughts continue to permeate. And if people will wake up and listen, there's a lot that can be done. I think the big takeaway we got from this week is even after you painted the picture of all the things we need to be concerned about, and there's a lot, is that you
5: shouldn't bet against humanity. Right, absolutely. Uh, the, the, the one bet that you do make is on human beings, because human beings uh, are absolutely extraordinary. We take problems, we create solutions, and we rise. We continue to rise, uh, and over time, the trend of – of human beings rising and growing, uh, producing, developing is uh, you know is 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 the one constant and universal trend throughout history.
0: All right. Well, we sure appreciate your being here. If you'd like to hear more from Simon Black, when we come back, we'll tell you how you can hear from this man every single week, and it's free. Simon, again, thanks for being on the show today, and of course this week on the Investors Summit at Sea. Thanks so much. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys Radio Program. More from Roatan, Honduras. When we come back, I'm your host, Robert Helms.
3: Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com.
4: Do you know what city was ranked number one on Clear Capital's list of highest performing metro markets just this February? It was Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, this is Ken Corsini with Georgia Residential Partners. If you haven't heard, Atlanta has just begun an incredible road to recovering real estate values. With an unprecedented demand from investors, in a shrinking supply of inventory, properties in the Atlanta market are poised for tremendous growth over the next few years. At Georgia Residential Partners, our mission is to help as many investors as possible buy turnkey cash flowing properties in the Atlanta metro area with as little headache as possible. With conventional and non conventional financing available, we can help just about any investor in any number of situations buy residential properties in this market. Check us out online at GAinvesting.com or call our office at 770-924-5450. Don't let this window of opportunity pass you by. Too many people
3: become victims of frivolous lawsuits and scammers simply because they were unprepared. At Corporate Direct, we use the latest legal tools to help our clients of all sizes create a strategy to protect what is theirs. Asset protection is not only for the wealthy. Our strategies and tools are very affordable and practical. Give us a call at 1-800-600-1760 or go to CorporateDirect.com to see how we can help you. That's 1-800-600-1760 for CorporateDirect.com.
5: Hi, this is Steve Forbes. You're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Have fun. You'll learn something.
0: Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program, traveling the world today in Roatan, Honduras. And wow, amazing to hear from Mr. Simon Black.
2: Yeah, it's great. It's it's so exciting to get a chance to sit face-to-face with somebody that, you know, you've read their material for so long and followed. Obviously, you've been a follower longer than me. Uh, Thank you for turning me on to him, if you will. Yeah, you've only been running this stuff for two years. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. And thanks for recruiting. But, you know, I mean, we're we're kind of all cut out of the same cloth, which has really been a remarkable experience these last several years post-crash. As we've been running around, trying to get around the smartest people we can, the people who can give us that context uh, that we're so anxious to have and give us that global perspective. It's obvious we're in a global economy. It's obvious that things are changing all around the world. And really obvious that there are going to be some major power shifts that are going to occur in our generation, things that Americans have never seen and experienced before. And so to have somebody who's dedicated their life to traveling the world, to meeting interesting people, and not just talking in the clouds, though. The thing I really appreciate about Simon is he has very practical, tactical things that you can do as an individual investor to begin to diversify your portfolio, to begin to diversify your exposure. And the thing that I love best is, is that at the end of the day, he's got faith in Humanity and the fact that people somehow, some way, no matter what happens, end up to find a way to reorganize themselves, to resurrect their societal structures, and get back to the business of living and caring for each other and caring for their family and, uh, you know, uh, continuing the race, if you will.
0: Absolutely. And a lot of guys who have come to the same conclusion Simon has are a lot more doomy and gloomy than he is. He's very upbeat, very optimistic, very factual in his presentation. But his thing is, hey, guys, it's changing. Let's take advantage of it. There's lots of opportunity, maybe more opportunity out there because of all these changes. So rather than just give up and say, oh, big government is bad and, and take a political stance,
2: which he doesn't do at all, he says, hey, this is how it is. Let's go profit from it. Well, we've said that for a long time. You know, sometimes people get a little concerned that we get a little too political. But, we're, you know, sometimes we have to listen to people's political opinions to get what they have to say about what's going on in economics or whatever. I mean, and a lot of people think that the solution is going to come through politics. And maybe that's true. Uh, you know, I think for us, at the end of the day, we've just decided that what we have to really do is understand, you know, what's happening, how it works, who's got their hands on the levers, what their philosophies are. When they do this, then, you know, what's the next thing going to happen, and can we begin to anticipate to either take advantage uh, and make a profit, or to mitigate the potential exposure and a loss? I, I know that, you know, as we've said this many times, going back to what happened in the financial crisis, especially being in the mortgage industry and heavily invested, heavily levered into real estate, and not being able to see the bigger picture, a little too myopic. Uh, And what happened, you know, the net result of that was, you know, getting around people who see a bigger picture. And of course, the one common denominator that we've seen with everybody that we hang around with at this level is they're basically optimistic. They see opportunity in the midst of the chaos, and so they're not sticking their head in the sand. They're not freaking out. They're not, you know, my God, the sky is falling. They're saying, hey, guys, things are changing. Let's rally. Let's let's do something spectacular.
0: Well, you made a great point about that as we were teeing up the whole summit a few days ago. We were still on land in Houston, and you talked about depending on which way you see it going, you're going to prepare differently. And there are folks who think the end of the world is upon us, that it's going to be absolute chaos in the world, and for those folks you had a suggestion for some things they could study.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, they're, they're, I, I like to watch that show every once in a while, Doomsday Preppers, you know. And you see these guys that are out there and they're, they're growing fish in their backyard and or raising fish in their backyard, however you make fish, I'm yeah. not sure. I just <laughs> go to the store and there it is. You know, growing plants, you know, purifying water. And and I think, you know, all of those things are important because if if you had a really – a severe economic breakdown and supply chains got disrupted. Then the flow of goods and services, especially goods, critical goods, water, food, energy, uh, to to the individuals is going to be disrupted. But you know, to Simon's point, that's not going to last forever. Right. And so ultimately, I think the survival skills that you really want to have have to do with how do, you, how do you be entrepreneurial? How do you take chaos and create opportunity? How do I sell? How do I start a business? How do I manage money? How do I trade? How do I negotiate? We have Tom Hopkins on the summit and it, you know, people say, well, how does all this fit in with economics and investing? <laughs> I mean, being able to sell, being able to negotiate, being able to stay positive. I mean, his whole thing with his, his uh, chance and, and, you know, just getting up in the morning and managing your psychology, which any, anybody who's been in sales knows that you have to manage your psychology to be successful. And a lot of Tom's teachings have to do with that. Well, guess what? If you're going to be an investor going through a difficult time, like the guys we had a couple years back that have been in Estonia and Bulgaria and some of those Eastern Bloc countries that were there when the ruble collapsed and the Soviet Union fell apart and the big transition they went through, well, guess what? You know, those guys aren't gardening and fishing and filtering water today. That's not what they're doing. They're not begging. They're they're basically making money because what arose in that was a more capitalistic system. They had more freedom than they'd had before. People saw that, hey, this old system didn't work. And I think that, you know, we're going to end up having the same situation. The things that we've done wrong, we're going to go, you know what? that was wrong so let's build something better and we probably could even come up with something that is an improvement but the but the opportunities are going to go to the people who see the uh, see the opportunity the quickest react to it the soonest and are able to implement the fastest and those are the types of skills that the folks we're hanging out with now are are teaching us how to do and what we're really focused on doing because human needs aren't going to go away, therefore opportunity isn't going to go away. People will always trade the fruit of their labor to get the fruit of yours. So you have to know how to work, you have to know how to produce, and you have to to know how to negotiate.
0: One of the few emails I read every single day is called Notes from the Field by Mr. Simon Black. If you'd like to get a free copy of that it's easy to do. Just go to his website at SovereignMan.com where you'll be able to tell a lot about Simon read about his background. Simon Black is not his real name he is a big privacy advocate you'll learn that as you peruse the site but notes from the field will drop into your email box every day and it's great great stuff again big thanks to Simon Black for being on the program hey if you know of somebody a young person who might be a good candidate for Simon's entrepreneurship camp that happens in Lithuania this summer the deadline to apply is coming right up you can go to sovereignacademy.org And if you've got a young person in your life who could benefit from that, one of our listeners managed to make it into Simon's camp last year and is raving about it. So if she's anything like your young person, uh, you want a chance to apply for this. Go to SovereignAcademy.org to learn more. Next week on The Real Estate Guys, it will be our annual Investor Summit at Sea edition. We'll have lots of the faculty members sharing what they've learned, their epiphanies, what they've taught, and you'll get to hear a live studio audience. So join us for that. In the meantime, go out and make some equity happen.
3: This episode of The Real Estate Guys radio show is brought to you by Paradigm Life, powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at BeYourBank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys radio show.